So the summer is about to begin. And the summer brings all different types of challenges. And what's amazing is, coming out of a Shabuot, we take a look at what we just got, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, Matan Torah at Har Sinai. And we look at the very first one. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. It's amazing that when Hashem came down to the mountain, Hashem insisted that He was to be the one to tell the people, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. And we know the Midrash says that they shot back 12 miles and they all passed away when they heard Hashem's voice. And Hashem had to do Tchiat HaMetim and He had to bring them back to the mountain again. And then He told them the second of the Aserta they brought Lo And then again they passed away and they shot back 12 miles. And He had to be Mechayim and bring them back again. Wow, all that. All that. Because this was something He wanted you to hear. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. That is the heartbeat of Judaism. Emunah Bashem. En Od Milvado. Nobody else could do anything for you. No one else can give you or take away from you anything. It's all under the Hashgacha. It is all under the watchful eye of Hashem. And our faith and Emunah is in Him. And nobody else and nothing else. But now comes the summer. And we need a reminder that the same Anochi Hashem Elokecha that is there with us moment to moment, minute to minute in a relationship with God in the months of November, December, January, February is the same Anochi Hashem Elokecha that is here July and August as well. And that's something of a wake-up call that including myself, we all need that reminder. Because to carry ourselves in shul, to carry ourselves in a community, it's a little bit easier. And suddenly when we go out there in July and August, it's not easy. The sun comes out, and that little voice inside that screams out that we want to go out and play, as we did once upon a time, it's not simple to stand up to the challenges and the demands on Abat Yisrael when it comes time for the summer. But you should know something. The entire year's growth, all those classes from September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, all the growth, all the Torah, all everything we've done was really a prep for this moment of truth. Because this is the big challenge. The summer really makes the call on where we're holding in life. Because those challenges are so great that if we really grew this year, then the summer to us is an obstacle course that we can clear. And there's no question that Abat Yisrael is challenged in the summer when it comes to the Siniut, when it comes to the way we carry ourselves, when it comes to the places that we should, maybe should not be going. So now that we got the Torah, and we got this amazing Emunah and Hashem, and not just that we got it, but now we're ready to live it. So what do we do with it? So I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about emunah. Because emunah is a topic that no matter how much you talk about it, there's always more to say. The great rabbi, the brisker of Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, he was once giving a shiur on the pasuk, Kavel Hashem, Hazak, V'yametz Becha, 
And he turned to the people and he wanted to know the obvious question. Why does the Pasuk twice say the concept of Kaveh Hashem? Why does it repeat it a second time? What was the point of the redundancy? Says the Briskarov, from this Pasuk, we're going to learn the secret of Emunan Hashem. It's from this Pasuk. Wow, what's the secret? He says, I want to tell you an amazing story that took place with the great rabbi, Reb Chatzkel Levenstein, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha. Reb Chatzkel started out as the Mashkiach in the Mur Yeshiva in Poland. And then later on years, he became the Mashgiach of the very famous Yeshiva of Panovich in Bnei Brak in Israel. So he was probably one of the most famous Mashgichim ever to live. When they spoke about the Devrei Musar and that great Mashgiach in the Yeshiva world, generally, most roads led back to Reb Chatzkel Levenstein. Zechet Tzadik Lebracha. They say over that one time, word got to the Bet Medrash that the paycheck and payroll for the Yeshiva of Panovich that month is going to be late. The first time in the Yeshiva history that they're going to pay their rabbis late. And all the rabbis and everyone who heard that, obviously, you know, the first thing you start thinking about, what am I going to tell the bank? My bills, my this, my that. Reb Chatzkel, on the other hand, the great rabbi, the Mashgiach, when he heard that his paycheck isn't coming and that the yeshiva is late on payroll for that month the first time, he actually got up and he had a smile on his face as if someone told him he won something. And he was beaming with happiness. And the other rabbis ran up to the great Mashgiach and said, Mashgiach, what are you so happy about? The rest of us are sitting here in Echa, and you are happy as can be. What are you happy about? And he says to them something very powerful. Ladies, listen to this. He says to them, I want to tell you the secret of how to make Emunah work. What does it mean, Emunah Bashem? And how do you get it? Emunah. Everyone believes in God. Faith? I have faith. Does that mean that I live with emunah? Says Rav Chatzkel, I'm going to tell you the secret of how to live with emunah. Emunah is like a muscle. A muscle, when you work it out constantly, the muscle gets bigger, stronger, more effective, more powerful, more reliant. But if you don't work out that muscle, then little by little, a muscle that isn't worked out and isn't used, it starts to shrivel away. It becomes extremely inefficient. It becomes extremely unreliable, ineffective. Says Rav Chatzkel, that's emunah. Emunah is a muscle. If you really want to live with emunah, that type of emunah that a Jew can live with, that they'll come to rely on their emunah Bashem, and it'll be an effective emunah, and they'll see it to be something amazing and powerful, it has to be worked out. Says Reb Chatzkel, when I was originally the Mashgiach in the Murray Yeshiva in Poland, many, many years ago, before World War II, he says, you know the way we lived? He says, we lived in such object poverty they were living on potato peels, on nothing. 
Amash, they had nothing. But they were so into their learning, day and night, that their learning was their everything. It was their life. And it gave them life. And it gave them purpose, and it gave them fulfillment, and it gave them a reason to live. Their love for the learning was beyond words. So even though they didn't have food, and even though they didn't have much, but they didn't need anything else. They found the learning, they found everything. They loved it. However, he says right after that, the Nazis invaded Poland. And he says, you can imagine, first we had emunah, that we're gonna live day by day with very little food, if not nothing. Our emunah was so worked out and so used day by day by day that the emunah, the Muri Yeshiva at that time was powerful. They lived on it, they survived on it. He says, but if that wasn't enough, you could imagine when the news broke that Hitler, Yamach Shemo, invaded Poland in 1939, and you know where he was going. He was looking for the yeshivas. He was looking for the Jews, especially the religious ones. He was looking for the Murray Yeshiva. He says, do you know the type of emunah we had to work on when it came to praying and hoping and believing with faith in God that nobody can help you but Hashem? No one can help us but Hashem. Not the American army, and not the Polish authorities, and not who you knew, and not the protexia. No, 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 no. They're not, not the police force. Later on, oh, did they find out. Not only didn't those people help them, but the Poles, they actually helped the Nazis go after the Jews. The Poles couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't wait to get their hands on the Jewish houses, on the Jewish wealth. They actually aided the Nazis in trying to destroy the Jewish people. When the Jews came back after World War II was over and they came back to their homes in Poland, their Polish neighbors kicked them out. So much for good neighbors. No, it was the emunah that kept us alive. It was that unbelievable faith, that simple belief that nobody else can help me with my problems other than Hashem. And Hashem, I am only believing in you with emunah that you're going to take care of my problems. You're going to save us from the Nazis. Wow, did we work out that emunah muscle day after day after day. And sure enough, it paid off. Everybody knows the famous story that the Murray Yeshiva only got out very close call. They got out literally right before the Nazis came into the town of Mir. But it's not enough that they got out. Yeah, that was also a tremendous emunah challenge. But then says Reb Hatzkel, you know how we got out? What were we holding? We were holding these hand-scribbled paperwork of Japanese visas written by Nagasaki. Who in the world would accept that? It wasn't on stationery. It wasn't any official documents. They were running for their lives with the hope that the visas that they were carrying will allow, a, allow them to exit Poland exit Europe and enter Japan with a handwritten visa? Are you joking me? It was just scribble scrap on paper. But again, the emunah. 
I have emunah that Hashem is in control. I have emunah that nobody else is in control other than Hashem. And Hashem's the only one that could save me. And Hashem's the only one that could ever do anything for me. En od milvado. There's nobody else that could give me or take away from me or hurt me or save me other than only the one and only one. Abba. Avinu Shabbat Shamayim. Emunah. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. The real one. Says Rav Chatzkul, do you know what type of emunah we needed to have when we walked up to the borders and we were holding these little flimsy papers with you know chicken scrap with scribblings on it? And we told them, here's our Japanese visa. Visa? What are you joking me? What did you write it 10 minutes ago? And miraculously, they were accepted. He says, finally, the whole Marie Yeshiva. All 330 some odd boys with their rabbis were allowed with these hand-scribbled visas, emunah, to leave. All right, where are we going? Says Reb there was a ship. Nobody knows who brought the ship. Nobody knows who ever paid for the ship. No one knows who paid for the tickets. It was the first ship in the harbor. The entire Marushiva got up on the ship and it left to Shanghai. It left to Japan. He says, you don't understand the miracles we're dealing with here. He says, our emunah was like a muscle that was so worked out day in, day out on such a workout that we lived it and we believed it and it was solid. And he says, that, then, then, then they came to Shanghai. He says, you know what the life in Shanghai was in the middle of the war? In the middle of war, War is Gehenam, right? Isn't that what the saying is? Right? More or less. <laughs> he says, there was no food. There was nothing. There was no rations. There was nothing. They were living on, on a little bit rice, a little bit something. But that's the way they stayed alive for a few years in Shanghai, in the middle of the war. He says, do you understand the emunah that we had to again come on to? He says, our emunah was this massive muscle that was worked out so well that we were literally able to live on it. And then, says Reb Chatzkel, the war was over. Some of the Murray Yeshiva went to America to build the Murray Yeshiva on Avenue R and Ocean Parkway. And some of them went to Eretz Yisrael. The Murray Yeshiva in Jerusalem. Reb Chatzkel, the rabbi, the Mashgiach, ended up going to Bnei Brak to becoming the Mashgiach of the Panovich Yeshiva. He says, once I got to Panovich, he says, life took a very big change for me. He says, you see, the head of the yeshiva of Panovich was the famous rabbi, the Panovich Arav. Now, the Panovich Arav was one of the greatest world-class fundraisers that ever walked the face of the earth. They used to make jokes about the Panovich Arav. At that time, if you remember, there was that whole marathon between the United States and Russia. Who's going to be the first country to put a man on the moon? I don't know if you remember this a little bit back, way back in history. Anyways, bottom line is, there was a big question, is there life on the moon? So they used to make jokes. They used to say, we have a proof that there's no life on the moon. Because if there was already life on the moon, the Panovicharov would have been there already to collect money. That's, that, that, that's how great of a fundraiser he was. And because of that, the payroll in the yeshiva of Panovich was never, ever late. He was always perfect with his pay. And therefore, says Rav Chatzko, all these years, my check was never late. 
I started to allow that muscle of emunah to get soft. Because when your paycheck comes in like clockwork, week after week, month after month, month after month, you start to forget a little bit where it's coming from. He says, now finally, the one and first time that the payroll was late, my paycheck is not coming. Ah, now I got to come on to my emunah. I could finally start to work out the muscle again. Now I could be reminded, you see, it's not him, and it's not the yeshiva, and it's not the punishment, it's not this, it's not that. My paycheck comes from Hashem. And every now and then he's going to hold it back just to give you that little reminder. Remember, they don't just print these in the basement. This comes from Shamayim. This is your parnasah that God is sending you. Nobody else. Oh, now I finally had the opportunity to start working out that muscle of emunah like the old years, the way I used to live day by day. I finally got that chance again. I'm elated because with that comes a relationship, a closeness with Hashem that you can literally feel His presence. You could feel that He's holding your hand through those tough moments. But without those tough, tough moments, life is hunky-dory. We don't feel nothing. We become numb Jews. Oh no, says Rav Chatzko, not me. I look for these moments. These moments to me are growth, motivated moments. Moments that I can feel Hashem's closeness. It gives me an opportunity to reach out and grab onto His fingers. I can feel Him there. I want to work out that muscle again. I'm so happy that the check did not come in this month. Look at the way a Jew looks at the fact that his check didn't come in that month. This is what a great tzaddik, this is, this is what emunah was meant to be for the Jewish people. Ladies, I want to I share with you something that I think is a million dollars. Really, I, I'm giving this over to you, mamish from my heart. I, I want you to hear this. I once heard this from a Rebbe of mine many years ago. This was a life changer for me. This statement, what I'm about to tell you now, was a life changer. So if you don't get anything from this class but just this one statement, you got your money's worth today. I'm telling you. Listen to this. My Rebbe once told me that there was a guy that was a huge Yankee fan. He loved the New York Yankees. This guy wouldn't miss a game, whether it be that he went to the game or he watched the game or listened to the game, but he wouldn't, he's a real fan, wouldn't miss the game for nothing. Diehard fan. One time this guy got really sick that he went to the hospital. And he missed the game. He missed a game. Maybe that's why he got sick. <laughs> no, I don't know. But they say he got sick. So he went to the hospital and because he's in a hospital, he missed the game. Well, he got a little bit better, and he comes back the next day from the hospital. They, they let him out. He comes home. And one of his good friends heard that he went to the hospital. So he wanted to cheer him up. So he came over to the house, and he told him, Listen, I know you're a diehard Yankee fan. I know for you to miss a game, oh, probably killed you. So I brought you a present. And he pulls out a CD. Uh, the olden days, we grew up with VCRs, so maybe it was a cassette. And I don't want to say that. But it was a CD or a DVD or a Blu-ray. I don't know where you guys are up to today. But wherever it was, he pulled out something that he recorded the game on. And he hands his friend the game, recorded. And he says, you see, 
thanks to me, you didn't even miss this game. I recorded it for you. Now you could watch the game. And as he's handing his buddy the CD, and the guy's so happy, he hands him the CD and he says, by the way, they won. <laughs> the guy says, did you have to tell me? He says, yeah, well, I just wanted you to know they won. Okay, so he takes the CD and he thanks him profusely because now he could watch the one game that he missed. And he sits down with his popcorn and his beer and he watches the game. And you know what he says? He says while he was watching the game, although there were certain points in the game that the, uh, the, Yankees, the Yankees were losing really bad, but he, he never broke a sweat. Because he knows in the end, they win. That's Emuna. <coughs> Emuna is even in those moments that look like we're losing. I think it's tough. We don't break a sweat. You know why? Because in the end, we have Emuna that we know who has our back and who's taking care of us, and we know we win. And we win every single time. That's Emuna. We know that at the end we always win. I remember my Rebbe told me that. Such a little boy at the time. I said to myself, yeah, I don't even know at the time if I understood the depth of what he was saying. But today, if you think about it, today, I was just in Israel recently. And I had a bunch of guys with me. And I took out a rental car, a big van. And sure enough, I was trying to get into the parking lot of the King Solomon Hotel. And the little drive over there was so narrow that it's impossible to pull a Fiat down that parking lot, let alone a big van. And I scratched the van trying to squeeze through this parking lot. And I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, I should have taken this insurance and that insurance. And will the visa insurance cover it? And I took the insurance of the credit card and now, da, 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 da. and my head was spinning. And I said, stop, Dovi. Remember, they win in the end. They win in the end. Relax. And I'm telling you, maybe once upon a time that would have ruined my trip. But a little dose of emunah? Hashem, you're with me. You know why I'm doing this trip. You know that out of this trip, 10 guys is going to learn in Eretz Yisrael a whole year next year. I have emunah in you. You take care of me. You're watching over me. You're there for me. You take care of my problems. Why sweat it? and try to take care of problems that it's not your job. He takes care of the problems. Hashlech al Hashem yahavcha. Throw on God your issues. Vehu yichalkelecha. He will support you. He'll provide for you. That's what he does. He's been doing it for 5,770 some odd years. He can do it for you too. He has no problems taking care of all your problems if you believe in him, that it's him and no one else. That's all he asks. Anirishon, Vanyaharon. In the beginning, we always start off, Baruch Hashem, Hodul Hashem Kitov, Todal Hashem, everything Hashem Hashem. And then the minute we hit something, we don't call this guy, call that guy, and I know guy, da, 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 da. and Hashem says, yeah, you think this guy's going to help you? You think that guy's going to help you? You think this insurance company's going to help you? You think that guy uh, you're going to make friends with by the, uh, what's it called? Uh, you think they're going to help you? Go ahead. Let's see what they'll do for you. And then when you see that everyone that you put your faith into came up short, 
then, you know who you're going to come running back to? Hashem. That's why God says, Ani Rishon, you always start out with me. And whether you like it or not, you're going to always end up coming back to me. Because you're going to always find out that He is the only source of any help, of any Yeshua, of anything, of any moment of our needs. And this is something to live with. Remember, ladies, no matter how tough the game may go, at the end, with Emunah, we always win. That, that's a great thing. It's a great, great thing to live by. So I want to, uh, I want to take this topic to another level. But before I do, let's get back to the Briskarov. So says the Briskarov, after telling this great story about Reb and the paycheck that came late, and how Emunah is a muscle, and how it has to be worked out, and how the first time you went to the gym and you started curling weights, it didn't do much of a difference to you, but after you stuck to it, oh boy, did you see a difference. Says the Briskarov, that's the secret emunah. You got to work at emunah and work at it and work at it until you don't just talk it, you really feel it. You really live it and you're really riding with Hashem step by step. Your faith is iron. And that's the way he learns the Pasuk. Kavel Hashem. Hazak Again and again and again. You want to know why the Pasuk repeats it? Kavel Hashem. That means to, to long for Hashem, to rely on, to call out to Hashem. Hazak Hashem. And rely on Him again and believe in Him again and believe in Him again and again and again like a muscle. It's a workout. Work it out, work it out, work it out. And it's going to get so solid that it'll become so amazing and so effective that you'll see the results. That's the secret of Emunah. That's the secret of Tefillah. You know, that's what the Gemara says in Berachot. The Gemara says when a person is praying for something and they don't get answered, what should they do? You know what the Gemara answers? Pray again. And again. And again. And again. And don't think that one prayer ever goes to waste. No. No such thing. He's listening. Boy, is he listening. He's listening as close as the way David HaMelech says. It's as close as an earlobe rubbing up against your lips as if you're telling someone a secret. That's how close Hashem's ear is to your lips when you pray to Him. That's how much He's listening. But He wants to hear you again and again and again and again. And He loves you, Tefillot. And because He loves you, Tefillot, He wants to hear more of it. And the more you pray, it's another step closer, and another step closer, and another step closer. Kavel Hashem. Hazak Kavel Hashem. Again and again and again. It's true for tefillah, and it's true for emunah. We don't give up. Like a muscle, we work it out until it's solid. And boy, then it's effective. So ladies, the emunah Hashem, that He's the one in charge. He's the one that runs the world. He's the only one that can do anything for us and help us and take care of us. And He's the one that takes care of all our problems. And to have emunan in Him that He's going to take care of whatever problems you're dealing now with in life. And whatever problems you will deal with in life. And He continues to provide and He continues to give us everything we need. And between me and you, I just want to say something. I, I, I beg your forgiveness. I... <laughs> I just had a whole class that I gave to the men this Shabbat, and they asked me, Rabbi, 
This is a class that you should be giving to women, not to us. Yeah, not this class, a different class that I gave. I gave a class about sinut and uh, head coverings and this and that. So why are you talking to us? Why, 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 why are you talking to us? Well, number one, Chamovadia was not a fan for young rabbis giving classes about sinut and so on to women. And therefore, as long as I still have a few black hairs left on this face, it's not going to be my place. I'm not going to do it. But I will just say one thing, just a sweet thought. I know that we are all today living with so much on our shoulders. There isn't a family today who doesn't have a package of woes and issues that each and every one of us are dealing with. Everybody and everybody has a lot to pray for. I want to tell you something. You want something that will catch his attention in heaven? You want an attention catcher? You ever feel sometimes you're praying to Hashem and you prayed many, 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 many times? Yeah, you did the pasuk. And you prayed a lot. And you listened, and you worked on your emunah, and you read the daily emunah, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you, you did everything you need to do. You did it, Rabbi, I did that already, and, and I, I don't feel like he's hearing me. You want an attention catcher in Shamayim? Something that I'm telling you, guaranteed, will get his attention to totally focus on you only? The spotlight? Although he does that anyways, you might not know that. But for you to feel the focus, and the spotlight. This area, in these days, in these months of July and August, it's the biggest challenge that we have. The area of Siniut in July and August. You want an attention getter? It's a matter of a few inches. And you know what I mean by that. That's all I can say. I can't say any more than that. It's all about Mesirut Nefesh. It's all about sacrifice. It's not about just the letter of the law. It's about if something meant so much to you, how much are you ready? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'll repeat it again then. <laughs> if, um, if something meant that much to you, it'd blow your mind how much you'd be willing to sacrifice for it. And that sacrifice is now, here's the months. These are, these are them. These are them. To live with that emunah in the months of July and August, like the way we did in September, October, November, December, January. It's not simple. But those sacrifices in these months, in the areas of Siniut, are the greatest attention getters in heaven for our women. Because there's no question in the world, according to all the Gidolim in the world, the biggest tests today for our women is this area. So if you make headway in this area, even an inch or two in Shamayim, it's literally explosions. It's, you throw up grenades. You make huge explosions in heaven and you get a tremendous attention on you. I said, okay, you have my attention because I saw your sacrifice. Sacrifice brings Hashem's unbelievable mercy. Let's sacrifice in this area. Emunah, sacrifice, doing for others. These are the recipes that make us great people. We just came out of a parasha that was the longest parasha in the entire Torah. Parashat Naso. 
And you want to hear something funny? The lengthiness of the parasha really comes from repetition. If you heard it and you read it, you'll see that the korbanot of the Nesi'im, they're repeated again and again and again and again and again and again throughout that whole middle piece of the parasha, right after the Birkat Kohanim. And then finally it ends off with that famous pasuk of Zot Hanukkah Tamizbeach. We read this every year, Hanukkah time, after Tefillah. But Shabbat, it comes from Parashat Naso, the Parashat that we just read, the longest Parashat in the Torah. And it's funny, you know, why would Hashem want to repeat so many times in the Torah the Korbanot of the Nesim in such a long, re repetitive way? Do we really need such a long Parashat? And the answer is, He's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us something with this repetition. Something that He's highlighting to us about these Nisi'im that must have been so great and so special that you know what they say. Something that you love so much, you never get tired counting. Ask any grandma about her grandkids. She'll open up her wallet and brrr, she'll start rolling out the pictures. And this one is, and this one is, and that one is, and my daughter's son, and my son's daughter, and da 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 and, and, and you'll ask them tomorrow. They'll, they'll roll it out again. They'll, they, have, they have no problem. What you love so much, you have no problem counting. Right? Scrooge McDuck. He never stopped counting his money. Right? Okay, maybe it was before your time. But, you know, you hear what I'm saying? When you love something so much, you never get tired counting it. It's amazing. Hashem says, I love these Nisi'im so much that this repetition of counting over and over the psukim, their korbanot, I'm loving it, says Boreola. Yes, the longest parashan Torah, so repetitive, and I want you to know how much I love these men. Why does he love them so much? Where did they come from? Who appointed them? Why them? No one ever told us that. Why did these 12 become the Nisim? Who appointed them? Why them? You know, the same question that they ask on the Nisim, they also ask on the Zikanim. We just came from those wonderful weeks of reading Perkeavot, week after week, Shabbat after Shabbat. And the first Mishnah is at least the one that everybody knows. Moshe Kibel Torah Misi, Nine. Sure. Vyoshua Lizikanim. Aha. Who were the Zikanim? They were the 70 elders of the Jewish people. The 70 great ones, the ones that stood at the uh, foot of the mountain when Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Torah down from Har Sinai. Who appointed the Zikanim? Why them? Who gave them that unbelievable title to be the Zikanim of Klal Yisrael? And the answer is one and the same for both questions. Moshe Rabbeinu appointed the Zikanim. Moshe Rabbeinu appointed the Nesim. And both were appointed Alpi Hagvura. God told him, these are the Zikanim, these are the Nesim. Wow. Why them, Hashem? Why did you pick them? There's a beautiful story behind this. And I need you to hear this. Because this is something that's an amazing takeaway. In Egypt, when the Jewish people were in the uh, tar pits, being whipped, slaving away to Paro in Egypt, there was a Jewish police force that was appointed to oversee all the Jewish slaves. Now, in the beginning, their job was simply just to oversee. Make sure that they fill their quotas, make sure that they actually stick to the 
plans of building. But then Moshe and Aharon come along. And they come to Paro and they say, let my people go. At that moment, Paro tries to pull off a very manipulative, manipulative mental uh, type of a game, yeah, in a way, to try to use that as an opportunity to wedge a hatred between the Jewish people and their leaders, and Moshe Aaron. So what does he do in this mental mind game in his certain uh, evil you know, plan? He goes and he announces that until now we supplied you the bricks. Because of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron complaining, now you got to make your own bricks. And you got to fill the quota. And they gave him this ridiculous quota that's impossible to fill. And not just the quota of making the bricks you got to fill. Now you got to make the bricks and still keep up with the building quotas as planned. Which was physically, humanly impossible. But they were held to it. And sure enough, you can imagine how at the end of the day, the quotas were now filled. Not the bricks, not the work. So what did the Egyptians do? They came down to the tarpits. They came down to the Jewish slaves with whips. And they began to beat them. The Jewish policemen saw that if the Jewish slaves would get beatings after a day of work like that, it was a death sentence. They'd kill them. So what happened? These Jewish policemen offered to take the beatings in place of the Jewish slaves. And they were beaten night after night after night. They took the beatings for their Jewish brothers so that they would be able to stay alive. Ay, 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 you know who these people were? These people were rewarded by God to later on become the Zikanim. And above the Zikanim, there were 12 heads. 12 heads from this police force. And they became the Nisi'im. Hashem says, I will never forget what you did for the Jewish people, that you took the beatings of your Jewish brethren to keep them alive. You have to understand this concept of noseh be'ol chavero in God's eyes is beyond words. Hashem says, I'll never forget when you came through for that other person that was crumbling under their burdens of problems. When you see somebody that's crumbling under the burden of problems and you go and you lend a shoulder and you help them carry their burden, Hashem says, I'll never forget you for that. I'll never forget you. They were crumbling and crushing, and you came, you swooped down, and you helped them. And when I say help them, I'm talking about lending a shoulder. I'm not talking about the cheap words that many people live with today. Many times we hear people in all different types of problems, and all we get is, oh, oh, Zit, that's terrible, horrible. Oh, you're killing me. Stop. I can't believe it. Where are we going out to eat tonight? Hakibalash. No, we're not talking about those words. That's nothing. Words are nothing. We're talking about the people that actually drop, stop, and roll. The people that go and they help and they do and they really help out other people in their moments of terrible, terrible problems and needs. They help them from their burden not to crumble. That's what these Jewish policemen did in Egypt. They saw that if these slaves would have gotten the beatings, they would have been dead. They would have been killed. There's no way they would survive if the day of work and then the beatings. They took the beatings for their brethren. 
And Hashem says, I'll never forget you that you are no seba ol chavero. I'll never forget them because of that he blessed them that they're going to be the zikenim, and on top of them, they're going to be the nisiim. Do you know that the richest Jew to ever live in history was who? Who? Shlomo, no. Yosef. Yosef HaTzadik was the, without question, it wasn't even a second place, without even question, he was by far the wealthiest man to ever live in history, let alone the, the wealthiest Jew to live in history. Because, you see, once he was done in Egypt, after the uh, seven good years and then the seven years of famine, Yosef already owned the entire real estate of Egypt, the people as his slaves, the real estate of most of the world, let alone the gold, the silver, the jewelry, because everyone had to pay for food. And he was the only one who had food for years. You have to understand that Egypt became a superpower because of Yosef, because of the wealth and the power that they mandated due to his unbelievable Ruach HaKodesh that Hashem gave him. Do you know Chazal say why Yosef was blessed to be so incredibly wealthy? Why he was considered the Ishmatzliach, the Bar Mazal. He was the guy with the Midas touch. He had the Joseph touch. Anything he touched succeeded, turned to gold, turned to platinum. Why? Because Yosef had a character trait. And that trait was Nose Be'ol Chavero. Take a look. His personality throughout his gro growing up. When it came to the Bnei Shvachot, you know, the Shvatim, the tribes that came from the, the, the Shvachot mothers, Yosef was the only one that befriended them. He was always helping them, always picking them up, always giving them confidence, always helping them out from their, their issues. And then after that, take a look. Yosef comes down from, to Mitzrayim. What happens at that point? <laughs> take a look, Yosef, in jail. In jail. He comes to the Sana Ofim. He comes to Saramashkin. Why are you so down? What's the matter? What's bothering you? Let me help you. Let me, let me unleash your burden. Let me carry your burden with you. Yosef, you're in jail. You're in jail. You're not Rockefeller. You're in jail. You're just in the pit as everybody else. No, I'm not. I can help him. I can do something for him. I can raise his spirits. I can give him a pitaron of a dream that will pick up his, his lot, his, his luck. And sure enough, take a look. When they pulled Yosef out of the bar and they brought him in front of Paro, what was his interpretation? Everybody else's interpretation, if you ever read the Midrash, on all the other crazy interpretations that they gave Paro about his dreams of the seven fat cows and the skinny cows and the shibolim and the, it was always selfish interpretations. Paro is going to have this and Paro is going to have that. You're going to have seven daughters to live and seven daughters to die. Crazy stuff. It was all personal and selfish. Comes Yosef. Because only Yosef can give an interpretation like this. Because Yosef stood for the concept of out there for others. No sebe ol chavero. What's Yosef's interpretation? The land, the world. Egypt is going to be used as a vehicle to have good years so that when the seven billion, we can feed the world, we can keep people alive, we can go out and help people, we can go out and build people, we can go out and save people. No sebe ol chavero. Even his interpretation was no sebe ol chavero. That's why he was the perfect vehicle to give such interpretation. And that's why Chazal say anyone that goes out and carries the burden of other people, carries their problems, carries their issues, 
Not just with the word of mouth. It's not enough. But to go out in real, real time with action. And to do what you need to do to help people for real. Hashem says, I'll never forget you for that. Look what you did for my kid. My kid was down and out. They were broken, being crushed under a burden of their problems. And you came and you lent a shoulder and you gave them a relief. You gave them something to get back up on their feet. You gave them a life again. You gave them back their life. That, that's godly. You have to understand that. That's emulating Hashem in a certain way. That's no seb o chavero. Those people were blessed with tremendous blessings. Tremendous blessings. Hashem says, I'll never forget you. Hashem never forgot the Nesim for taking those beatings. Hashem never forgot those Zikenim for taking the beatings. And this was their reward. Now, ladies, I'm going to tell you something that I'm telling you. The first time I came across this, it blew my mind. I'm going to say this briefly because I don't want to take your time too long. But you have to hear this and we'll close the class, okay? But it's worth it. Vayomer paro el b'nei Yisrael. After the Jewish people left Egypt, the Pasuk says, Vayomer paro el b'nei Yisrael. Nivuchim hem ba'aretz, sagar alehem hamidbar. Take a look at the Jewish people. They're wandering and lost in the midbar. They're locked into the desert with nowhere to go. Paro was talking about the Jews after they left Egypt, wandering and going in circles, at least it looked like to him. This obviously was all a plan. Hashem wanted to draw him out there to give him the final blow. But he says, now we got him. They're lost. Vayomer paro el b'nei Yisrael? What do you mean paro said to the b'nei Yisrael? Who is he talking to? The b'nei Yisrael already left. They're gone. They're in the midbar. Says Rashi, yeah, you're right. It doesn't mean el b'nei. It means al b'nei Yisrael, about the Jewish people. But it says targum Yonatan ben Uziel, no. No, if it says vayomer paro el b'nei Yisrael, then that's what it means. He spoke to the Jews. Which Jews? Everyone's gone. Says Targum Yonatan ben Uziel, you know who stayed behind in Egypt? Our two old buddies, Rasha, Rishaim, Datan, Va'aviram. These two clowns, from the beginning of time until the end, they're always going to be the thorn in Moshe Rabbeinu's side. Always there to challenge. There's always somebody challenging the rabbi. It's just a way of life. It's part of the job, nothing personal. Datan, Va'aviram. Vayomer paro el b'nei Yisrael. Paro turned to Datan v'Aviram. They were his close advisors, his buddies. And he told Datan v'Aviram, Look, the Jewish people, they're lost. Now I got them. Ladies, you know what that means? It's amazing. Datan v'Aviram. Two of the biggest Rishayim. These two guys told on Moshe Rabbeinu to paro. Then almost got Moshe Rabbeinu killed. They were the ones that told Paro that Moshe killed the Mitzri in Egypt. Why didn't these guys die in Makat Choshech when four-fifths of the Jews died that night? These are the two biggest Rishayim. If you'd ask me, I think they would drop first. They were the biggest Rishayim of that time. They should have died first. Four-fifths of the Jewish people died Makat Choshech because they weren't worthy to leave. Yeah, what about these two guys? They're worthy to leave. <laughs> they didn't even leave. Why did they die, Makat Choshech? Question number one. Question number two. Do you know why we had to leave in the middle of the night? Or at the end of the night? Why did we have to leave Egypt in a hurry? Because if we would have stayed one more second, says Chazal, 
we would have fell into the Nun Share Tum'ah, the 50th level of Tum'ah, which is what they call the point of no return. Once you hit there, that's it. There's no saving. One second. Datan Vaviram didn't leave. That means that they fell into the 50th level of Tum'ah. Wow. Get a load of this. Datan Vaviram, they go out with Paro and they go to chase the Jews. You want to talk about a Benedict Arnold? Are these traitors or what? They go with Paro to go out and chase the Jews. You see, they stayed behind because they wanted the good life. Everybody knows the last eight months in Egypt, the Egyptians, they used reverse psychology. Paro was at the head of this. And he started to say, now we're going to be nice to them. No more slavery. You guys work so hard. You work your way up to the circle of champions of Egyptians. Now you have a right to be in our society. Now we're going to be buddies. Like we see at the end of this day, when Hashem asked Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the Jewish people to borrow their gold and silver, you know what the Pasuk says? Isha mechaverta. A woman asked her friend. Friend? You call Egyptians friends? <laughs> friends like that? Whipping you? That's friend? No. The last eight months, they befriended us. They became our best friends. They were telling us, what's the issue? We're going to give you the best houses now in Goshen. You're going to have a summer house in Cairo. We're going to hang out by the pyramids together. You know, it's, it's going to be a party here. Don't leave. Stay with us. We just finally got to know each other. After all these years of beatings, nothing personal. Could you imagine? Datan Baviran went for the Egyptian dream. Ooh, that was a slip. <laughs> the American Egyptian dream. They went for it. I'm going to have a house here and a summer house there. And I'm going to drive around in a Lexus chariot with two white horses. I have it made. What else is there to life? That's it. They bought into the dream and they didn't leave. And because of that, they fell to the 50th level of Tumah. And now when Paro chases the Jewish people, you know who was on Paro's chariot? Maybe not on the chariot, but you know who was with them? And they were screaming, go Egypt, go! Traitors! And then what happens? The Jewish people go into the sea, Hashem makes Kriyat Yamsuf. And then the Egyptians follow right after that. And Hashem drowns the Egyptians. And there's Datan Vaviram standing on the shore, watching their allies go down like bricks. And they say, Huli, we rooted for the wrong team. So you know what Datan Vaviram did? They threw away the pom-poms. And they took out new signs. Go, Jews, go! You know those guys? I love those guys. You know, you ask the guy, oh, what, what type of fan are you? Yankee fan, Met fan? And his answer is, it depends who's winning. It depends who won the World Series last year. It depends who's winning the Super Bowl this year. That's who I'm a fan. I, you got to love those people. Those people are traitors. Those people have no loyalty. I tell these guys all the time, that tell me, I say, I don't know if you're going to make a good husband. You don't know what loyalty means. You don't know what home team means. You don't know what it means to root for the home team. This guy, he only roots for whoever's uh, winning. Just to, and it's, it's, a, it's a lack of self-confidence. It's just to associate with a winner. All right, it's a different class. Anyways, but the bottom line is, that's who it was. They're, they're rooting for whoever's winning. The Egyptians go down, go Jews, go! But ladies, listen to this, and then I'll let you go. Ay, 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 the pasuk says in Panashat Bishalah, 
that after Hashem split the water for the Jews, the Egyptians came in in hot pursuit. Hashem brought the waters back down on them and drowned them. Two psukim later, you know what it says? Uvnei Yisrael halechu bayabasha betoch hayam. It says in the Pasuk a second time that the, the sea actually was split again. And everybody asks, why are you repeating a second splitting? The sea only split once. Says Targum Yonatan ben Uziel, no. The Yamsuf actually split a second time. Really? For who? For Datan and Aviram. That's what the Targum Yonatan ben Uziel says. They got a private, personal, Kriyat Yamsuf just for them. Could you imagine the look on Paul Moshe Rabbeinu's face? He turns around and he sees that the sea split a second time. And he sees that who comes quabbling through the puddles? Who comes running through? These two guys! Hashem, what are you doing? You split the sea for these clowns! You know what these guys are going to do? You know what they're going to do? When they come to the Midbar, they're going to incite Korah and his entire story that we're going to read in the parashah to, to go against Moshe Rabbein. You know what these two clowns are going to do? When the man falls double on Friday, and Moshe Rabbeinu announces to everybody that you know why it's falling double on Friday? Because Shabbat, the man is not going to fall. You know what they did? They collected all the man. They woke up early, early, early Shabbat morning these two clowns, and they put <laughs> the man out on everybody's doorstep next to their tents to look as if the man fell on Shabbat just to frame Moshe Rabbeinu as if he's a liar. you believe this? Can you imagine these two clowns? And these are the guys that fell into the noon Tumah. And Hashem is making a private, personal, Kriyat Yamsu for them. Hashem, why don't you just kill them in Makat Choshech? Why are you making miracles for them? And the answer is an amazing answer because you're not going to believe this, ladies. Look back into the Parashav Shemot and Targum Yonatan Ben Uziel writes, and you can see this in Rashi himself. Datan Va'aviram were the two heads of the entire Jewish police force. That's why they were so close to the Malchut of Paro. They were in charge of all the slaves. And do you know whose idea it was to take the beatings instead of the slaves? You know who were the first ones to get beaten every single night instead of the Jewish brethren slaves that would have been killed by those beatings? Datan Vavira. Wow. And Boreolam says, Datan Aviram, you two clowns, you two Rishayim, you fell to Nun Sharetuma. You told on Moshe Rabbeinu to Paro, you almost got him killed. Later on, you're going to put the man out on Shabbat. These two guys started the uprival, the upheaval of, of Korach and the biggest machloket. And says Hashem, I'm still going to make your own private Kriyat Yamsuf. And I'm not going to kill you by Makachos. You know why? Because you took beatings for other Jews. This is an amazing idea. When we lend the shoulder, Mesirut Nefesh for other people, 
when we have Mesirut Nefesh for Emunah Hashem, when we stand up to those moments, those are the moments that define the true essence of a Jew. That's Bezat Hashem, our Kabbalot for July and August. Thank you for listening, ladies.